Hello, Gary Williams here. Welcome to my In Conversation podcast, a mishmash of chit-chats with friends and influencers across the world. Now, a few years ago, I was hosting a UK radio show where each guest would choose four songs and tell me why they were important to them. Now, due to music copyright issues, I can't share any of that music with you here just the conversation. So the music's gone, which might sound a bit weird sometimes, but I think it's still worth listening to what these great guests had to say. Enjoy. In Conversation with Gary Williams. We've got some great music for you today, as usual, including tracks from Johnny Cash, Steve Earle and Chuck Berry, all chosen by today's special guest. Now, as a singer with his own band, he's toured all over the world, winning a gold disc along the way. That's not bad, is it? And he's got a lot of fans, including Simon Cowell. But he's best known as an actor and for playing the role of Curly Watts in Coronation Street for 20 years. He came through a dark period of alcohol addiction and began a new phase of his career in musical theatre and for some time he's been performing the role of pop in Ben Elton's We Will Rock You both in the West End and touring the UK. Now he's taken the role onto one of the world's largest cruise ships, the Anthem of the Seas. He is Kevin Kennedy and here he is in action with a great song, Whiskey in the Jar. That's a rousing version of Whiskey in the Jar performed by today's special guest, Kevin Kennedy. Welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Great. I feel better now I've heard that. You, you sound on uh, good form yes. on this album. This is from your own album. This is an album called uh, Kevin Kennedy, uh, Present Kennedy. Not President, but Present. Uh, one day. Yeah, one day, yes. <laughs> and this album was, um, was originally signed by Simon Cowell. Uh, we did a track off it which he signed, which went to a single which didn't do very well in the British market. I'm talking around about 2004 now. Um, I wanted to finish the album, so it was picked up by uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Australia and New Zealand. So uh, I went to over there and I toured there. Uh, it did very well. It went gold, uh, which was amazing for me. And then part of it, part of the song started to drift into America and I ended up in uh, in deep, playing in the deep south. So, did you ever imagine, as a kid in Manchester, that you'd end up with a gold disc on your wall? N- no, no. I mean, the thing is, when I was a kid in Manchester, uh, I'm talking in the the uh, early seventies. Um, it was an amazing time to be around because punk had just happened. Everything was possible, uh, not just in music, but in with actors with arts with poetry poetry suddenly became very popular with the punk poets that were knocking about like john cooper clark uh jilted john people like that and it was just an amazing time because people jumped on the back of that revolution of music uh, do you think punk gave people permission to just break the rules I think punk had a lot to do with people breaking the rules because music before then were always played by very competent musicians. You've got the likes of, you know, of, of Deep Purple uh, and people like that who were all great musicians. Punk means anyone could pick it up and knock out a tune, which was a great thing to do. And as I say, that, that leaked into other arts. Uh, I was lucky enough, I lived on the same estate as uh, Johnny Marr and Andy Rourke uh, from the uh, Smiths fame. And we, being good Catholic boys, we played the folk mass and we actually formed a band called the Paris Valentinos which was a forerunner of the Smiths um, and that we formed that when we were all 14 and you were singing in the band? Y- yeah I was singing and playing the bass uh, <laughs> and then I switched to rhythm it's uh, a great trivia question because nobody yeah. would expect Curly Watts no, to have been the no. forerunner it was it was a brilliant time though because I, I mean I, I went on to drama school and uh, 
and the Smiths, obviously, the rest is history. But I remember I was at uh, I was in Sheffield Crucible Theatre and I was doing Hamlet there, and Johnny and Andy were over at the uh, the arena playing the arena. And it was like we'd never sort of uh, we've never left each other. I just wandered over after a performance. Um, he's like, "Hello, Johnny. Why? So, what are you doing?" Oh, so I'm, I'm over there doing Hamlet. All right. So I'm just doing a gig. All right, mate. And it was like, and it was just a brilliant time to be around. Uh, it was very exciting. Uh, and unfortunately, oh, I think we should have another one of those. I think it's it's great for all kinds of music. Did you think of yourself as an actor or a singer or a musician? Or I mean, did you, you know, did you feel that it was it obvious? to people around you that you had some natural ability in one of those areas yeah I, th- I think it was first and foremost and I wanted to be in the performing arts and I didn't really know which direction I was going to go in I really and you had choices because you could do yeah, a few things I could things. play and I could uh, you know, and, I, and, I'd, and I'd done a bit of acting and and, uh, and as I say all my peers around me it was amazing you'd turn the television on at night and you'd see one of your mates in a play for today or you'd see or you'd hear some music and it was another band that you, that you knew Slaughter and the Dogs and all these great bands and, and poets and stuff so I, I didn't know what I was going to do and I, vend- and I got into a drama school and it was a particularly a tough drama school Manchester Polytechnic School of Theatre very difficult to get in and and that really kind of made my mind up uh, so I wanted to be an actor uh, and plus I must admit watching Johnny play the guitar in his formative years was was a privilege sat in his bedroom and seeing Johnny Ma play the guitar was something I'll never forget and something I was I was very privileged to, to see because I knew then I thought well if you've got to be as good as that I think you know, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll do something else I think I'll do something else <laughs> yeah and how did Simon Cowell come into the picture, you know, sort of creator of young pop idol well, stars all over the world. It, it got a few hits from TV um, with the guys from Soldier Soldier. And he sort of had this idea that Simon's big thing in the record industry would he would take projects that no one else had touched and make them work. That was, that was what he did. Um, musically, all right, he wasn't brilliant, but he knew how to sell and he knew how to market. He's an absolute, he's, he's a master at it. Uh, and I got involved in that, and and I'd been playing for quite a while at this time. I was still in Coronation Street, and I'd I'd played and I'd formed a band. Um, I wanted to play live, and uh, it's very difficult to get on some kind of circuit, especially in the eighties, because there was no music being played really, unless you got on some kind of circuit. And the circuit I got on was the country, Irish, um, circuit, because I just wanted to play, uh, and uh, I and so I was at the height of my uh, fame, I suppose, in Coronation Street. But every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'd get in the back of a transit van with a band, and I was just a bass player, and I and just did loved you, it. Did you sort of try and avoid your name being, uh, your fame kind of getting in the way of that? Did you want to just sort of be in the background playing absolutely, the bass? Absolutely. When people were getting, you know, were getting thrown out of nightclubs in London, uh, I was in some Catholic club in Eccles or Earlham somewhere playing, just just being the bass player in this band, and I loved it. I thought it was, it's I think, a great escape. It, oh, it was cool. I just loved it. For a long time. And in the in the late nineties, I didn't listen to popular music at all because there was there was no no guitar music. It was all dance music, which is all very well and good. And, and I, I'm not saying that uh, you know it's not any good, but uh, it wasn't for me. So I didn't listen to music for over ages for about ten years because there was no more guitar bands. Um, so I heard this, and I heard the way that that ex- such an exciting twelve bar rhythm behind it. And, and if you can't 
you know, if, you, if your foot doesn't start tapping to this, <laughs> then there's something wrong with you. And, it, and it's also very rebellious, again. It's sort of ironic, really, that Simon Cowell took you on, helped you with this record. Mm. Now we're talking on the Anthem of the Seas, mm. one of the biggest cruise ships in the world where you're playing a leading role in We Will Rock You. And yet Simon Cowell is quite well known for really talking down the whole cruise ship mm. thing. What's, what's going on with that? I don't know why he does that. Um, I mean, when I was working with Simon... Can you ring him up and tell him? Well, the, when I was working with him, it was before he was God. Right? He, he wasn't as very well known at all. Um, and for some reason, I watch it, and I, and I know a lot of people that work on the cruise ships, and a lot of them are in, incredibly talented people, great singers. And I was thinking, why are you doing this, Simon? Why are you doing this? And so when I came on board Anthem of the Seas and, and obviously working with Real Rocky and, and working with the cast and I've, I've done We Were Rocky in the West End and the standard of performance and the standard of singing, not just in, in We Were Rocky but in the other shows that I've seen, are, are well up there with the, with the West End. So I think Simon's got to... I know that uh, Royal Caribbean have invited him on a few times but he's all, yeah, but he's always seems to decline. I think that's just, I think it's one of his pet hates. But uh, Did he almost put you off? The, when I found out who, who was involved in it uh, uh, Tony Edge was the director from uh, from Coronation Street we had the uh, all the um, people from the West End uh, the people behind the scenes were, were involved in it and of course uh, Brian May was involved in it and once I knew that those certain people were in place I knew that it would be of a standard because Brian and Tony Edge uh, Queen Management would not let it happen unless it was absolutely top-notch. And was it the right decision? Absolutely. I mean, there's two things I really like in, 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 in the world, is, is travelling and obviously performing, and this is perfect. And what about, I mean, the downside of travelling is being away from home, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, as, I, as I sold this to my wife... As Tell I, me, sell as it I, to me. ..as I will sell it to you, <laughs> uh, I said, look, you know, because they could offer me uh, the Wizard in Wicked, uh, which would be very nice, it'd be lovely, but I'd be, I'd be travelling around the country maybe playing uh, two weeks or three weeks or even a month in a certain place. And I live in Brighton. I said, it never comes to Brighton. It never comes sort of this way down. I mean, the closest would be Southampton. So I'd be in Southampton for maybe three weeks. The rest of the year, I'd be all around the country. Uh, I'd have to pay for my own digs and my own food. Uh, this way, I'm doing a show. I'm not I'm not driving around the uh, the UK in the winter months uh, I get all my food paid for and my accommodation paid for, and I'm performing. And the ship comes into Southampton every 10 days. Mm. So that's the way I sold it. And now I am, here I am, uh, in America. In Conversation Radio with Gary Williams, the best in music and conversation every week. I joined the ship in April. Um, with the first cast, and and, and I thoroughly it's 2015. Yeah, yeah, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I thought, well, I'll stay on, I'll stay. On. It's one of those parts as well which I put so much into. You're playing pop, uh, pop yeah, uh, yeah. He's kind of a real Ben Elton character. Um, he hates um, he hates Simon Cowell and this character, and he hates uh, Big Brother, and uh, he hates any manufactured music, and he's a proper rocker. And if it's no, if it's got no scars and it's got no soul, then it's not, it's not music, man. It's just, it's just not. Sounds um, a bit like you. Well, actually, that's it, and I, it is, and I put a lot into it, and uh, and and with Ben, and I said, Ben, can I try this? And he was brilliant. And I said, Can I say this? Can I do that? And and I was basically giving people permission to say, Wait a minute, yeah, Big Brother, it is a load of crap. 
you know, and and there's certain lines which I certainly won't say on your show because it was uh, there was a lot of swearing. There was a lot of swearing in the in the other version. When the audience lapped it up and, and stood up and cheered because they were given permission to say yes, yes yeah. Yeah. he's right. You know, there's no soul in this stuff. It's rubbish. How, how do you play a role for so long and not get bored with it? Well, it's. When you're playing a role for quite a while, it becomes you and the audience. And it's just like any other performance. The, the audience can turn a performance. If you get, go on there and they're right there with you from, 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 the, from the, the minute you get on, then you have the greatest time ever. The greatest time ever. Sometimes you have to work for it and sometimes you can turn them around. Sometimes they don't like you at the beginning and, and it keeps you on your toes. And, and when you've won that audience round, and you usually do with this with pop then it's the best feeling in the world and that's what I train to do and I like to use all the the uh, the tools that I was given in my training and all the all the experience that I've got, I've got over the last 11 years playing in in various musicals west end musicals bringing all that to the fore and and just getting up there and well basically it's showing off isn't it but it's but it's 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 doing your craft what you're good at and and that gives me such a buzz Mississippi in the middle of the grass I was invited to play in America and uh, it was a bizarre, bizarre weekend. I was, um, I was on the Friday, I was in Manchester and I was filming an episode of Coronation Street in this park and it was um, an episode where we'd all gone role-playing and, and it was Roundheads and Cavaliers. So I'm dressed, I'm in this park in Withenshaw where I'm from um, in Manchester and I've got a, uh, a roundhead uniform on and, and I filmed all day till five o'clock and then and, I was, and then that night I got on a plane and I went to Atlanta in Georgia uh, and, I, uh, and then I got on uh, someone picked me up from there and this was on the radio right? Black Velvet on, on the way to Nashville and as soon as I hear that it just takes me straight back because I was so excited do you think of yourself as an actor first, or, or as a singer? Well, no, I'm an actor. I'll always be an actor. Um, m- music. Um, but you're an actor with a gold disc. Yeah, I know. It's just, I, just one of those, just one of those things that happened. I, Do you think you, as an actor, does that bring something to your singing? I, I'm not uh, technically. I, I would not. Uh, I mean, I've seen you, your good self sing, and uh, you know, I'm not even in the same league. But I think being an actor lend something to the delivery um, and if you spend your entire life speaking words other people's words and making people believe what you're saying is true whether it be on television whether it be on the stage then you have the, you have the, you have the edge I think a little bit so so what, what you lack in musical ability you you make up for in in technique and and expression. And do you look for a song that has a story to it as much as an, an actor you would look for a script with a, yeah. a shape, a beginning, middle and an end? Do you look for that when you're singing a song? I think so. I mean, because that's why I think what's attracted me to country music. I mean, they say country music is three chords and the truth. <laughs> I right? like that. And every country song I've ever listened to, there are some ones which are, are not so good, 
but the real good stuff, I mean, the George Jones kind of stuff, is 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 really gritty. And you're a fan of Johnny Cash. Uh, uh, Johnny Cash is uh, one of my heroes. I mean, I, I mean, Did you ever I, see him? Yes, I want to see him in, in Manchester. As an actor, of course, people still remember you for Curly. Yeah, What's yeah. in Coronation Street? Yeah. Do you get sick of talking about it? No, I mean, playing Curly was a good twenty years of my life. It's a long time. Yeah, and 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 it. Uh, I'm very grateful because it opened up a lot of doors to me. Um, Do you wish it would sort of go away? No, no, never, no. never. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. You can never, you, you can't, you, you can't deny something that gave you so much, gave you so much back. Um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Playing you can't it. get bored of talking about it. Um, or being referred, being called, all right, Curly. Well, no, because that, I think that's the biggest compliment you can get because it means that the, 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 the people out there, they remember the work that you've done. And I think you can't get a bigger compliment as, as an artist, as an actor, as a singer, as a poet, as a painter. For people to remember your work, I think is the biggest compliment you can ever get. You're listening to In Conversation with Gary Williams. The best in music and conversation. You were very young when playing Curly when that first. I mean, mm. what what did it what did it do to somebody with that level of fame and that level of recognition when you walked down the street? How did you handle all that? It took a bit of getting used to. I mean, part of that, of course, was was joining the the, the Irish dance band, the Borderline, and and being the anonymous bass player. Did you escaping? I just couldn't just... cope with a lot of that. You know, yeah. I didn't I didn't really like it. Yeah. Um, and it took its toll. You know, many years later, you know, I went down the route of many people in in, in the public eye. Which led to rehab, uh, alcohol problems, and the rest of it. And is was that alcoholism and the addiction? Is it a? Is do you think that would have happened to you anyway had you not had the success? Or yeah, I think I think it would have happened anyway. Uh, I think all the success uh, and the recognition did was speed it up. You know, speed the whole the whole system up really. And, and how do you cope with that when you're trying to deal with that very personal situation in the public eye? Well, you have a choice. You either hide it um, to the point where you cannot hide it anymore, or you just you just unburden yourself and admit to it. And 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 I found the latter was the best way. Yeah, I just you know the, the people say, oh, you were hounded by the press, and they, well, actually, yeah, I was, but they helped. It was a great help. Because, In what way? Because it, that made me uh, more fearful of drinking again. I didn't want to get caught drinking again. Uh, and for me, at that stage of the game. Um, you know, we're talking life and death. Whatever helped would keep me alive. Uh, it didn't matter. You know, if they had told me to go and stand in the corner uh, on my head, I would have done it. Um, and the, the the press were were very good about it because I was straight and open with them. You know, I didn't try to hide it. I said, look, you know, I've got a problem with the booze, um, um, and I'm going to try and do something about it. And after after that initial admission. Uh, obviously they trailed me for a bit to see if I was drinking and when they discovered actually I wasn't and I was actually making an effort then they got really behind me you know and uh, so it's there was help at hand when yeah, you needed yeah. it oh yeah after a while I mean I went through you know I spent a long time saying it's, it's just normal it's, it's, it's normal this I'll be alright I'll be okay but uh, you know yourself deep down that your drinking is abnormal um and I knew, you know, I just knew that um, people said, what was your rock bottom? And I was, uh, well, my rock bottom and my uh, my biggest high came on the same day, you know. My rock bottom was 
realizing that I um, that I really I couldn't drink again, and my my biggest high was the fact that I decided to do something about it. <laughs> so you know, and it, and and it was now I'm 17 years down the road, uh, touch wood for today, and uh, and it, it was probably the best thing. No, it's not probably it is the best thing I ever did. And you've turned it around. I mean, and really made such a positive thing of it with the work that you're doing yeah. now yeah. in helping other people. Yeah, I I do my best. I um. I try and um, and pass it on, pass the message on. Um, uh, I, you know, my wife and I are trying to get something going in Brighton where we live at the moment, uh, where we can. We're trying to get a dry bar together, which is a place where people can go. It's not just people who are in recovery, uh, but people who, who just don't want to drink for the night. And the thing is, that the disease itself gets so much press; it gets so much coverage. You know, you you only got to pick up the paper and you say, oh, you know, um, so so many people die per year for alcoholism. Uh, mother found driving children to school over the limit. Blah 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 blah. And what no one ever talks about, of course, is the is the answer. Is the is is what we can do about it. And that is what I'm trying to do now is to make it to make it acceptable that recovery is acceptable. Recovery is just you know you you are not morally corrupt if if you've had a problem with uh, with addiction. Uh, you're not a bad person. Um, and you go into businesses now and yeah, help go them with this for their say, staff. Look, you know, you, if you got if you've got an employee with with a, a business with a, a drink problem or a drug problem, then you get them rehabilitated, and what you'll get back is a, is a is a is a more dedicated worker, a conscientious worker. Uh, and the the money that's lost through um, people not coming in through work through, through hangovers and, and what have you is, is incredible. It's got to feel good to do this kind of work now. It is. I I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that, and I, I try to, to to lead by example uh, and showing that you know being sober is not um, a, a, a boring, uh, glum existence i have a lot of fun you know um i just i just don't drink you know for me now at this stage of the game 17 years down the road i don't really think about it unless i have to think about it and you gotta feel better yeah physically yeah i feel good i feel all right you know age i mean getting on a bit but um but it doesn't stop me getting up on stage and doing what i need to do you're still ambitious oh yeah oh yeah what do you want to do i don't know yet I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I mind having a crack at some of the classics, uh, some of the really like lamies or something like that. Certainly not uh, um, the, the, the bigger parts. No, I don't know. I'll see what happens. Make a request. Leave a comment. Tell us what you think. Visit inconversationradio.com today. I've always wanted to play uh, in Rocky Horror Show, which is the first musical I ever but You did. were in Rocky Horror Show? Yeah, yeah. I was the narrator, but I wanted to play uh, uh, Riff Raff. I just fancied out a bash at that. Because what, I mean, when I first came to musicals, I never thought I'd get into musical theatre when, when Coronation Street ended. Uh, I never, I never, it never crossed my You've mind. You've done Chicago. Chicago, Mary- Chitty Chitty. I was the first actor ever to play um, the child catcher, and I played Caractacus Potts as well. Fantastic. That's range. Uh, yeah, that's that's proper. That's a, a pub question, isn't it? That? Tell me about your last record. The last record is Mr. Steve Earle, who is uh, who is uh, just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant songwriter. If you look at a lot of the hits that people have, have done over the last years, you'd sit, look at the writers. A bit of a Willie Nelson, you know. Yeah. Uh, you go, oh, Steve Earle's written that, and uh, uh, again, another guy in recovery. Um, and this one. Do you think there's called... something about artists? 
and the the um, temptation to drink and addiction. Um, so it's quite common, isn't it's it, very in this common. business? It's very common. I don't know why. I think because most alcoholics I've ever met are very driven, very clever, very artistic, uh, stubborn. Uh, all is this the, you? Just <laughs> load of al- alcoholics I've met, but, and they have all these attributes, which either... Because they don't like being told what to do. Mm. So a lot of them are head of massive corporations. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's this guy who was saying, you know, uh, I met once. He was saying like six years ago, um, you know, I was I was I was in a crack house on a mattress at the back of the, uh, the back of this horrible house. He said, "You see that building over there?" I said, "Yes, yeah, that's mine now. That's where I own that building." So I think the the addiction gene, just you know, it's, it's stubborn, and you won't you don't like being told you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And what does it appeals to you about Steve O's lyrics? Steve, he's very real. Uh, he's, he's, he writes beautiful love songs. There's a range of stuff that he writes from from beautiful love songs to whimsical stuff to very hard hitting. He's very much against the death penalty in America, and he writes quite a lot of stuff about that. And this particular song is Galway Girls, which uh, a Galway girl, which is just a beautiful song. It's about uh, a guy who who finds himself in Galway and meets his almost mysterious, beautiful Galway girl. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's, and again, it's such a catchy tune. And with my name Kennedy, I have a lot of Irish connections. Uh, and uh, this this is just, I think it's got everything I, I like in a song. It's got a good story. Uh, it's got that country kind of feel to it and a, and a Celtic, a Celtic thump behind it. Kevin Kennedy, thank you for talking to us. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch and hear more interviews just like this one, head over to my website, garywilliams.co.uk.